0: If we always know each other's good intentions, I think we all benefit in a way. That doesn't always happen. We get very busy. We don't have time or patience for that. But I do think that all you're really doing by providing some like new thinking and things like that is potentially opening the door. And then if they close the door, they close the door and you find another way of doing it and try not to get too disappointed by that.
1: really excited to talk to you because you and I, we have some shared DNA in that we, we used to work in production and post-production, and then you migrated where I went into education. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, there's a story I want you to tell because I read it and I'm like, yes, this is, I need to hear this story. But before we do that, can you introduce yourself to our audience, please?
0: Sure. I'm Aaron Duffy. I am the ECD and co-founder of Special Guest. Uh, Special Guest is a boutique creative agency uh, with global reach. Um, I'm also a director at a production company called First App Machine. And I think if there's if there's any work that people listening might know, if I, um, I try and uh, figure that out. It would be maybe way back doing, uh, directing Google's first TV commercial, uh, which is called Parisian Love. It was a Super Bowl spot in 2010. Um, we also did Google Chrome's first work in the US. So this is called Google Chrome Speed Test. We, we compared the speed of Google Chrome to the speed of a potato gun, things like that. And uh, OK Go music video called Writings on the Wall. Um, so if people know those things, that maybe gives people an idea of the kind of stuff I do.
1: Wonderful. I want to go into your your past, your education, how you got started. But I think a more interesting thing is to talk a little bit more about Parisian love. I think there's a story here that people need to hear about. And the question I have for you is, I know you get this a lot about how one develops personal style in their work. Cause we, we all want to get notice and we think that's the way to do it. And I'd, I'd love to hear your take on that.
0: Yeah. It's something that comes up a lot when I'm talking to students or, you know, people trying to, to get into the industry that style does come up a lot. And it, it, it for good reason, I think you want to stand out somehow. And that totally makes sense. I, I always feel that way too. But then I, I have some experiences that I've been through that also sort of keep that thinking in check a little bit and making sure that people don't dive into style too heavily and keep their minds open. And, and yeah, that project is one of those experiences because when I was first getting started, this was very early in my directing career, the, we I was getting boards in and opportunities that were I felt were very much in my style. This was kind of like a crafty sculptural, um, you know, getting your hands dirty in in making stop motion and things like that, you know, those kinds of projects. And I loved that. And I felt like that was my style. And then this one opportunity came up and my instinct was to turn it down because it was not in that style. And I, like some other things I had already turned down, but my my partners were just telling me this could be really good. It a, was a super small budget, but thought it would be worth trying to do it anyway. And so I did it just because people were encouraging me to do it. And it was very kind of graphic driven. It was not that creative from my of view at the time because it was just about using the interface uh the google search interface to tell a story and we didn't get to create much you know because they didn't want to change the interface at all and so it really put us in this place of needing to figure out how to tell a story with in this very confined way and um we eventually finished it it took about two months going back and forth on the story and we didn't have really a plan for it. We were working with, uh, Google creative labs in the very early days of, it might've been the first year or so of Google creative lab. And so the plan was just to put it on YouTube, like make a thing, put it on YouTube. That's what we did. And I sort of forgot about it. I wasn't even that into it because it felt kind of sappy to me, to be honest, it was like a love story and it was just not a thing I was used to doing. And so I just thought it would sort of go out there and I wouldn't hear much about it, but A couple months later, we found out that um, the founders of Google had seen it, that they really loved it. And then not long after that, because we had made this video, it was only 52 seconds long. And they're like, you need to make it 60 seconds long because we want to put it on the Super Bowl. And I was just sort of shocked because I didn't even like this video. And so we had to figure out how to sort of add a little bit of story, extend it to 60 seconds. Um, you know, master the audio in ways that you know Super Bowl commercials really want to be, and it it ended up making quite a big splash in an unexpected way that year because it was so quiet and Super Bowl commercials are so loud, and I think all of that sort of you know after that it, it was inducted into the MoMA's archive for the art and technique of the American commercial. All of these things that I didn't even know existed, and. I sort of realized that I could have really, I, I was basically going to turn this thing down, but today it's actually one of the more important pieces that I've done, at least for the progression of my career and and even helping me get out of uh, say like narrow-minded ways of making things and reminding myself that when you can collaborate with people and get a great brief uh, or even a bad brief that you you try and fix, um, you can make things that really resonate with people. I think it's even it's cited a lot in marketing business books. I, I notice every once in a while, like if if you look at the comments for it on YouTube, people say I'm here because of this book, and I'm just you know usually like shocked by those things. But I try and remind students and things like that of of those things because it's great to have a style, but it's also great to
1: keep it a little loose on that too, you know? Wow. So many things that have come up here. So a video that you thought wasn't a right fit for you because it wasn't the right style. Right. You wound up doing it because people had encouraged you to do it. Otherwise your instinct might have not have been to do it. And I have to think about this because I've seen boards before where I'm I'm not really feeling like this is right for me and, and the budget isn't great. That's usually why I just walk out. Yeah. Like what other <laughs> yeah. than your friend saying like you should do this? Was there any other reason why you thought this might be a good thing for me to do?
0: Yeah. To be fair, at the time, and this sounds kind of crazy now, it, or, or hopefully people believe me when I say this, Google had not done a lot of advertising to that at that point. Back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, uh, a lot of the content that they put out was usually kind of an engineer at Google who had a new project that they were talking about. They get someone film them standing against one of the walls at Google and they say, this is the project I've been working on. And they get it out that way. There really wasn't the kind of advertising powerhouse that Google is today back then. And so that, that was kind of a draw, you know, where I literally think I said at the time, does Google advertise? I think when when they first came to us with this video, and and the truth was they they didn't have a plan for it. There wasn't a media plan for this thing we were making. They we just were putting it up on YouTube and it got noticed. But um, that was a draw because I am intrigued by looking at new uh, doing new things for companies, things that they haven't done before. And so that was another reason maybe I did decide to take it on. And I guess you could say maybe the challenge of, can we tell a good story with something so restricted? But, um, but yeah, to be honest, it was sad not to get to craft something. And I did pitch them like, what if, what if we filmed this happening on the screen of a laptop and the camera was going around as it's happening? And they're like, no, like just use the interface. And so I I got lucky that people were patient with me, you know, when we were doing that.
1: It's neat because it quite literally, it is just a screen capture, hate to say it like that, but it's a screen capture. And you, you kind of get a peek into a person's mind as they're searching for, uh, like how to, how to impress a French girl because, or like, uh, and then and then eventually ends up with like getting a flight or how to how to get a job in Paris or whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of a neat, very stripped down, minimal thing. And 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 I can see why your initial reservations were there because is that a portfolio piece for me. Right. <laughs> but then there's something very emotional that's happening in between the search cues, right? Yeah. And yes. I, th- I think that's the power of Google. You very deftly delivered on. I, I think art to me is like when when form and function find its perfect mate yeah, where it needed to be the Google interface to tell the Google story in the very Google way, yeah. but just devoid of everything else and just removing everything that's not necessary. And, and that's what you have. It's just very pure expression.
0: Yeah. There, there's a lot, um, you know, probably something that's tossed around a lot um, over the last 10 years is humanizing tech, you know, and, and that, that being a big endeavor because, Technology exponentially is more involved in our lives, but we tech is quite cold until you try and apply a a, a context for it or some kind of storytelling plan for it. And the Google interface, maybe mo- more than most things, as even though it has some quirk to it, um, is pretty dry. And so, a couple of those things that you're mentioning that we learned on that project was the way it feels when you show someone typing something and mistyping, deleting, and retyping. You know that 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 became kind of a trope or something that we could use. Or, you know, another another thing was at the time um, Bing was first coming out, right when we were trying to make this, and that's how long ago this was. And And I don't know that Google was necessarily reacting to Bing exactly when they were making this, but the Bing commercial that was out at the time was kind of knocking on, uh, sort of poking at Google because the point that they were trying to make was Bing knows more what you want as a search engine. So you don't get sort of this noise in your search results the way you do other browsers. And... Google, uh, to, to their credit, they did a really smart thing where they, they, they leaned in to say that noise is good for you. Like that noise is good. The, the things you get back. So when you, when you're looking up what truffles are, you, you and you mistype something, you learn about Truffaut and, and that, that's just the noise that you get back in the search is a benefit. And it kind of can almost be this Not a guide for your life, but just like an expansion on the possibilities of your life, almost to the point of you meet someone that you weren't expecting to meet. You know, it's very, very like big concept that ends up being there, but but I think we're all sort of used to that experience of of you know rabbit holing, I guess, which is its own problem these days if you listen to the New York Times. Uh, rabbit hole series, um, so I don't know if people like that term anymore. But but yeah, there's sort of rabbit holes that you go down to like learn different things.
1: Yeah, I, I think if you're trying to be efficient, it's not a good thing. But if you're trying to learn <laughs> and be curious about the world, it's a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, so search on ends up being that, like you're saying, that discover discover concept.
1: Yeah, one of the things I miss the most about going to the local Tower Records or the Barnes and Noble bookstore is. On my way from point A to point B, I run into things I would never find that are outside of my normal, you know, preferences of what it is that I want to see or listen to. And I'm, I'm an old school guy because people are listening to this. What is a Tower of Records or what is Barnes and & Noble? And we're going that way. And so this digital equivalent of bumping into something that you weren't actually looking for can be an epiphany. It could be this really spark of joy that you have in your life. And, and in the telling of that story, it is expertly crafted. It's like, oh, I didn't, oh, oh, but that's kind of interesting. Yep. I misspelled this word. And did you mean that? And no, but that's kind of interesting. And I'll, I'll go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, um, definitely. A couple of questions for you. And I, I want to get a little nerdy about like the whole production director, you know, process. Yeah. Oftentimes, at least it's been my experience with ad agencies is they have a script. There's an idea. They shop it around a couple of different directors to get a treatment. Uh, this seems like it's client direct, was it?
0: That's right yeah and and because it was the the early days of Google Creative Lab, which you might call I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of other examples before them, but you might call this sort of prototypical in-house creative team um, or at least the one that a lot of companies would like to model themselves off of that are having in-house creative the um, it was direct the, the team there knew our work and they wanted to work with us. We also happened at the time to be doing Google work, Google Chrome work through BBH. I don't know if there was like a connection there where they saw us working with BBH or not, but those things were happening simultaneously. But yeah, they, they came direct and we didn't think about it that much at the time, to be totally honest. It was just, Boards coming in from somewhere or ideas coming in from somewhere. And now today we sort of, and this is the reason Special Guest was formed, was because we realized if we really wanted to service clients better, we needed its own pipeline um, to do that, its own way of working. That was different than a directly production pipeline that we had grown up with. And um, yeah, I've, I've I've been curious, you know, how that worked in the blind world as well, you know, because the, the it's it's a it's a more gray area world these days than it was yeah. when I first got in the industry. So, you know, we we did we did realize, you know, a lot of a lot of brands are are developing either their own in-house teams or marketing teams that do want to get to production a little quicker. You might say. Um, it's not everyone and it's not even all of our clients, uh, on, on the special guest side, we do get into strat and, and creative development, um, before talking, way before talking production with a lot of clients. But then there's some that, that they might have an idea already and, and want to get to production. So, um, but, but Google was really the beginning of that for us.
1: Mm. Was it one of these projects where if you said, yes, you get the project or do you have to like win the project and be awarded it?
0: So re- that's a good question because, you know, in, in production, of course, we're very used to the triple bid and and actually the triple bid in a lot of cases is, has become a requirement by procurement, you know, so it's it's not even really that people even think it's the best way of doing things. It's just the established way of doing things and a required way to do things. And that, that kind of triple bid route doesn't exist exactly when, when, um, brands are coming to special guests, but we do often pitch against other agencies for the work. So we're, it's not, um, in some cases we're sort of a shoe in, but, but, uh, but a lot of times we are pitching against other agencies and I, I'm, I've actually, you know, the, the triple bid in the production world. And as a director has its ups and downs, obviously, um, which we, that could be, we could talk about that a lot, but. I miss it sometimes because in our world, because what it allows us to do is create kind of a creative contract with the client, where if you don't like the idea that I have or my response to your brief, then we just saved ourselves months of agony, you know, um, uh, not liking each other's points of view on things, and and you had another route to go. You you bid another director on it. You're good to go. No, no hard feelings on that, you know? So when, when the, when the single bidding comes up and and things like that, and there isn't sort of like a way out, I do find that there can be, I miss that creative contract sometimes at the front end, but, um, of course there's downsides too. There's a lot of downsides. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of (laughs) downsides. Yeah,
1: for sure. Like having to fight for your meal every single time. It's a hundred percent. It can be very painful. Yeah, and yeah. there, but you know, you're you're bringing a fresh perspective here because oftentimes we're like, God, I'd rather just be like the one, so I can work through the ideas, and it can be done in a truly collaborative spirit. Versus, I got to nail it, or that's it. Yeah, they're gonna pick someone else. But there is also the other side because we do have those relationships. Back when I was making commercials, where an agency would say, you know, it's your job. I just need you to make something so we can sell it through to the client. But we're not going anywhere else. It's just we need this, and and then you're like, there's this um, an immense amount of pressure. Like, oh my god, yeah. I have to nail this then, because otherwise, we're screwed. You're screwed, and it, I don't want to embarrass you. This is not good for yeah. anybody. So there, <laughs> there, there's a, a few negatives. It's not a lot, but I'm yeah. you know, reaching here. There's two negatives, right? Yeah, yeah. I I think the
0: in that particular scenario, and I've definitely felt that myself before as well it does feel like it, it constrains your creativity, I think in some ways, because, because you have to nail it, you walk on eggshells a little bit more, you know? And so I think if, if the board flow isn't good, then you also have that problem, you know? And I, I definitely, I know, I know, even even when you're not single bid you know if the board flow is not great and you you don't know when the next board might come it puts a ton of pressure and i, I definitely hear that if the board flow is good then i think it it opens you up to what i think the agency is probably hoping for which is that you'll kind of take a chance on maybe an unexpected idea and you know that might be the thing that they love, or it might be the thing which has happened a bunch of times where they said, you just totally disregarded something that we cared about. Right. Why would you do that? And, and right. that, that, that happens too. So, you know, it's, it's hard. It was a lot of guesswork. Um, yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to come on, you know, fighting for the triple bed, but you know,
1: <laughs> I, I thought I'd bring
0: up a couple <laughs> of the, the upsides, right. but it, it is a lot of downsides.
1: That'll be the, the title for the episode. Why Aaron thinks no. all production companies <laughs> should triple band. Yeah, I know. And then you get a lot of fan mail after that. Okay. So now, yeah. So a couple of things there. Okay. So you're not quite sure the nature of the job, whether or not it was just yours or you had to do a three-way bid for it, but you did get the gig. And I'm just curious about your, your pitch process. Is it like you wrote a treatment and cause you said you wanted to like do these elaborate moves and, And at what point do they're like, you're the right guy, but that's not the right idea.
0: Yeah. So, um, I actually recently I I was, um, because it was 10 years since that spot came out, I was looking at some of the pitch work and, and, um, the pitch process there was, I I did try and pitch them on one version of it where all the words on the interface sort of moved around into animating characters like wild things that were Mm -hmm. just like not asked for. And, and I, I sent them those things as well as a straight uh, edit that I created out of just screen capping the interface straight up, and just knowing that was something they wanted. And so, they, you know, kindly thanked me for the the weird ideas, and then focused on that test I had done. And I think that 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 I think is maybe part of the answer is um, testing, prototyping was like a really big part of that prototyping things off the bat. And fortunately in that case, it wasn't hard to prototype. It's not like needing to go out and shoot things. You could just video screen cap, um, typing things and trying stuff and edit it together. Um, I want to also this, we don't always do this, but, um, Jeremy Turner is a composer who I just met at the time and I've worked with a lot since then, but, but he, it was early days, I think, of some commercial stuff for him too. And he did a demo in almost the first prototype I did, got some music on it that was just like really beautiful and wasn't that far off from what ended up being the music, which I, I'd i argue is maybe even more important than the visuals. And he just did a great job on that. And I think they might've fallen in love with that too. So I think that was, I would say prototyping as a sort of way in, rather than, um, trying to sort of overwrite the concept or, or over pitch on it. What we were really able to do is just kind of make a, a video like thing that they could share around. And that helped.
1: Are you, um, are you able to share the actual budget that you were given to do this thing? Cause you said it was a low budget.
0: Yeah, it was pretty low. I, I, I probably won't remember exactly what it is, and and it did go up a little bit be, when they came back for the extra work, you know, for the Super Bowl stuff. But mm-hmm. I think at first it might have been somewhere between forty and sixty k, you know, you know mm-hmm. something something like fifty k or something. And and I know that that can be, um, you know, maybe people listening are like, hey, that's a big budget. I, right. I I I think it's it's very in our world and the kind of work that we do and and Blind does uh, that's not a good budget, you know? No, it's not. Um,
1: so, <laughs> yeah. So now we've, <laughs> this may not be the best PR podcast for you. <laughs> people are going to walk away like Chris and Aaron are spoiled <laughs> brats. Cause these days people are doing a lot more for a lot less than that in the video world, yeah. not in commercials specifically, but, uh, for everyone that's listening, um, oftentimes, back when I was doing commercial work, I would say if it's under hundred thousand dollars, I can't even look at it. Like, how are we going to make this? Mm. this is impossible. Mm. And you knowing the budget, I'm I'm a little surprised that you even pitched some of these wild ideas with type flying all over the space. I can visualize that. <laughs> I feel like I might have written that treatment myself. And then this other thing about the camera swooping around 360 and showing all this. In your mind, did you were you concerned that how the heck are you going to do that for 50k?
0: Yeah, I'd say that um, we, in the early days, especially, we did make that mistake, you know, every once in a while, but we also sometimes were rewarded for making the mistake, you know, where I think the the best case scenario, they see the idea and they decide it's worth spending more money on, you know, and and so it's, Mm. it's a little bit of an upsell, you know, Um, and, and that can go wrong. You know where they get excited about and they think you're working within the budget and and it ends up not being the case um i think especially in working directly with brands we need to be careful of that because we're, we're potentially working with folks that are you know differently than than creatives on the agency side or producers on the agency side if we're working with brands that may not be very sort of production savvy and and we can get people overexcited about something that they then realize that the rug's been pulled on them, you know, that we have, we do have to be careful with that. And so there's downsides to doing that too. But, but this is, this is one of the things that I think we really believe in and why we wanted to build a creative agency off of our experience in production is that when you, when you know a lot about production and you know, like the ins and outs of it, and you can incorporate that in real time into your ideating, then you're kind of making this big leap that I think is not made as often, where if you have creatives working on an idea without knowing what is possible or either hasn't been done or what is possible from a production point of view, you might actually restrict your own potential for what that could be. Or you come up with an idea that is just completely impossible off the bat you know because you don't know. And so we really try and like weave our production thinking into that and and we know the corners we can cut. So, you know, maybe the animation style I was thinking for that at first would have been a little bit more expensive but not a ton more or you know things like that and and we can find ways of getting new ideas through. In the end they they chose something that was not production heavy at all. You know, so maybe the budget kind of makes sense there. Um but it turns out to be way more valuable, you know. Is like one of it's it, it, and and that that might happen too. So it ends up being this really valuable thing for them. They still use that storytelling style today, um, even in in their the the Super Bowl from a year ago or so. Um, same kind of UI storytelling, and you know, the movie Searching uses that. I don't know if you saw the movie Searching, but. Um, you know, it's that UI storytelling style was like pretty new, I guess you could say at the time, like I said, not mind blowing to me at the time, but, uh, but ended up being kind of, um, like a style that is used a lot today.
1: Mm. I feel like I'm, I'm making a a meal out of this conversation because there's so many, every time you say something, I want to ask you more questions. And so I, I, I wonder when I'm going to get to the bottom of this whole thing. So there's so much that's going (laughs) on here, right? So a couple of different things here, uh, there is a sweet spot in knowing enough, knowing too much and knowing too little, mm-hmm. right? And you talked about that. And I think uh, I, I'm just nerding out with you, just two guys talking shop at this moment, because if you don't know what you're doing, you, you pitch all kinds of ideas and you have no idea what anything costs and you do, you shoot yourself in the foot because you create expectations that no one can deliver on. And actually, a lot of times you're showing that I don't know what I'm doing right? And sometimes when you know too much, you you automatically limit your thinking in, in these constraints. Uh, sometimes you can get really creative and you could, you you know where you can stretch a dollar yeah. and where you can make something look like a lot more than what it really costs to make. And so living in that sweet spot, it's not so easy to do. Um, right. There's this idea too, you as a director, that you can bend reality. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, it's fifty thousand bucks, and usually this is really young, high energy creatives that look at it and like fifty thousand. Who cares? Let me write this idea for two hundred fifty. They're gonna love yeah. it so much that they will find. <laughs> these are stories we tell ourselves, and more often than not, we're we're sadly disappointed by it. And and it seems like that's kind of what you got into. Like I have all these wild creative things, and our desire as creative beings is to to write ideas that allow us to stretch our creativity. And then sometimes in doing that, we lose our way and we actually come up for, with things and ideas that we want to make that have nothing to do with what is good for the client.
0: You're right. And, and the, the, in, in this particular scenario, the client had patience with me, you know, and <laughs> clients may not always have patience right. for that. I, I've had clients that don't, don't have patience for that. And um, maybe they're right not to in, in some cases, but I think- if we always know each other's good intentions, I think we all benefit in a way. That doesn't always happen. We get very busy. We don't have time or patience for that. But I do think that um, all you're really doing by um, providing some like new thinking and things like that is potentially opening the door and a crack. And then if they close the door, they close the door and, and you find another way of doing it and try not to get too disappointed by that. Um, Definitely, have had those scenarios, and I agree with you that it's hard to figure out wh- where to be in that balance of knowing too much, knowing too little, keeping your mind very open, or or because you know so much about how to make something. Some like I, I remember one brief I got once um, as a director; they wanted to re- actually project something on the moon, and I was just like, "No, you can't do that." Like. I mean, we're going to, we're going to end up comping it. And what's interesting about that, you know, the, uh, you know, it, it, it's things like that where it's like, okay, they didn't know you can't project something on the moon, you know, but the, that, that, that's like a very sort of like pie in the sky kind of thing, but I kind of applaud them for trying something as well, you know? Um, So it's hard to know where the balance is. I, I agree with that.
1: Right. Well, here's um an argument back for like why we need long-term relationships and not mm-hmm. uh, triple bidding on things because you you said when we, we understand each other's intentions and intentions and giving people grace it comes from having really strong relationships where I think Aaron is a good person. He's trying to come up with breakthrough creative to help us deliver the message. He's not just trying to sow his wild creative oats, right? Okay. And then when the agency or the client pushes back, you're like, Oh, they're actually trying to make this work internally as well. It's not they're just putting their thumb or foot on 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 the creative person's head and saying, "Do as I say." Right kind of thing. And so I think strong relationships, clear communication, expectations usually helps with us understanding each other's intentions. Definitely, and also perspective.
0: You know, like I I admit that having now. Been running a, a creative agency for over five years, I have so much more, you know, respect for when agencies would come to me with an idea and I would crack it open a little bit. Really, the the if if they get upset at all, it's because they just spent nine months trying to sell this idea through to the client. And it was hard. And and when you crack it a bit, you you they feel like you've found you know, a sort of linchpin that can make the whole thing fall down and, and you don't realize it as the director. And so when it comes to like the, the stacking of collaboration and things like that, you introduce a lot of potential. You also introduce a lot of potential for knocking things over, I guess. And so people get protective for that reason. And, um, I, I definitely understand that today. I just think that, that sort of having some patience, open mindedness. You're right about like longer term relationships, would definitely um, help with that. And we've been really lucky to you know have some clients that even gone have gone from company to company, you know coming back to us in in that way. So it's it's long term relationships, not just with a certain brand, but with people that are have been at going to different brands that kind of know our way of working, and like that. So. Yeah, it's, it's it's tricky and at the end of the day, I think if we are getting to be very creative, even when we do get shut down sometimes, then it's still a good day. You know, that we we got to like think really creatively and I try to remind the team of that in in the in the tough moments.
2: Time for a quick break, but we'll be right
0: back.
1: Welcome back to our conversation. I want to highlight this one thing about you uh, creating a prototype. In, in our world, the the language we would use is probably like an animatic mm-hmm. where you you produce and edit. Uh, and luckily the idea was something that you can actually produce, not like uh, a Star Wars battle scene where it, you <laughs> yeah. can't really do that. But this yeah. was about telling the story through s- search queries and then cutting it together and putting a piece of music against it to find the the emotional core of it. You were able to do that, so tell me a little bit about um what is it about the 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 prototype that you think is such an effective tool at communicating your your vision or your idea
0: you know there's I think there's two ways I would talk about it um, mm-hmm. because you you might know more or like have more perspective on this than I do when i when I first got into directing and things like that. Um, the tools for making things were changing pretty quickly. After effects was really changing a lot. 3d potential was changing a lot. And I think what I'm told by like direct older directors I've talked to is that have been in it longer than me is they didn't prototype very much. They would write up more, write up their ideas, maybe storyboard a bit, but not prototype as much. And, in what we were doing, we were, you know, we were quite small. We were pitching against PSYOP a lot, you know, like against like much bigger places. We needed a way to get a leg up. And we tried to use those tools to try and almost just help the client imagine more what it could be like, try and make something that was similar enough without scaring them potentially, you know, of, of what it would look like. There would always be this debate of like, does this feel good enough that it won't scare them? Will they know that this is just a prototype and not the way, the way the final thing would, would look, you know, because we certainly can't do that over a weekend pitching. And so the, there's always that that debate, but the tools were getting to a point that we could prototype, I think. And um, I think that's even um, increased more and more these days. You know, like the, what you can do with, you know, a kid jumping on Cinema 4D is just outrageous compared to when I first started. And you can really mock things up like very, v- quite easily. I'm not saying that's always the best thing to do when when pitching, but in a lot of cases, we we would need to do that. And with, especially with some clients who, might not be able to picture things super well, um, it becomes very, very useful. And then one other thing I would say is that, you know, when, when we've worked with places like Google Creative Labs, for example, um, or worked with, with folks like um, pitching to Robert Wong or, or folks like that, I don't think there's really as much patience for um, this is what it might be like. It's like, this is what it will be like, you know, and and I think that there's a much bigger appetite for that if it's possible to show. And you're right. If it's like recreating a Star Wars kind of scene, then yeah. you have to figure out where the, the prototyping makes the most sense. But when we can, I, I, I try and do it because we have like better results that way, I think.
1: Mm hmm. I think uh, at least in the traditional commercial production world, there's a lot of money being spent in the creation of the commercial media buy that's been paid for and mm-hmm. a, a big launch of something that people have been planning for months and even a year ahead. So there's a lot riding on this. And so what what you need to do, and, and this is the basic communication. Uh, if we just think about, I have an idea or I want to describe something to you, I could use words Words are wonderful, but they can be abstract. They can be open to interpretation. So I can do a drawing which makes it a little bit clearer and I could do a really high fidelity drawing, which is to use all these powerful software to generate an image that feels like from a single frame from the entire production, it's gonna look just like that. And in in your case, it made the most sense to actually just build the animation around these screen captures and tell a story that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And and whatever it is, however you you want to articulate this vision so you guys have a shared framework or a vision. It's like, yes, we see that. And now we want to give it to you because it's hard for them to take it back, back once they award it to you. Yeah, And then they have to live with that. And to your point earlier about this whole pitching phase, they have already made the dis- decision we're committed to your vision, what you're coming up with, and we're going to have to back this because there's no getting out of this. Right, And so it's a big decision they're holding on. Yeah, I'm just curious. Um how much of the script was worked out or how much of it is just you saying it'd be nice if I typed in this and it came up with that instead So um
0: uh Tristan Smith was what they call one of the five at Google Creative Labs so he, I believe he's still at Creative Labs today a creative, di- creative director there um he was the writer and I think it's even half I could be wrong about this, but like half autobiographical. The uh, so he mm. he really you know wrote a lot of that. We may have tried different things in the middle parts because actually, what what's what's maybe not a hundred percent like clear to people viewing it, but is definitely I think happening in the back of the mind is that a lot of those little scenes um, in the middle are really talking about benefits. Uh, product benefits. So for example, when he, when the character flies to Paris the first time, I think it is, it does this really quick thing where you see typing in the flight number into the search bar. That wasn't like a thing people were doing, but what, it, what it's actually doing there is showing you, you can get really quick information about your flight by typing in the, the flight number. Um, and it will give you all the information you need. And so, um, I think there's things that, that were being tried out uh, in terms of what benefits could be talked about, what things we could cover, but really Tristan knew this story. And the the other thing is there were dozens of these search stories being developed out of there. Um, this was just one of them. And to this day, I think there's still search stories going on, but this just happened to be the one that broke through, you know, And and that's why I say it's not even necessarily the style i i think it's this combination of that story the way that we got these little humanistic things going on it was also the first one where we tried to start it with this really abstract close up of the search bar you know with the with the the cursor blinking and I remember there was a ton of debate on whether we should do this weird abstract thing at the beginning and, and in the end, I'm, I'm glad that we did it because it really became the, the sort of like face of search on in a way. You can put anything in the search bar, but that wasn't really figured out, you know, when, when they first came to us. And um, I think what was fun just on that note is it was like applying film techniques to an interface. There's close extreme close-ups mediums, wides, you know, there's pans, you know, and, and, and that's where we really, that's was more my role, I think. Um, uh, and, and, you know, Tristan did the writing and was like trying to bring filmmaking to like a, a digital interface.
1: Yeah, this is wonderful because it's, it, it I, I can see now why this is a, a cited in case studies and in different books and courses that people take, because it, it is such a beautiful expression of idea story heart it is essentially a love story a boy meets girl kind of thing told through search and so it has that novelty to it too and you kind of feel like where is this going to go and with each query you're like oh okay now yeah chocolates i get it and they're going to just keep doing this thing and then eventually he's like i'm going to book another flight back right when it, it when initially it was uh, a study abroad kind of thing right yep that's it's right. It's a wonderful case study and writing and and how you you create something that's a story that happens to be an ad that happens to point out the benefits of a product.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I, think also like where the, and we think about this a lot beyond, you know, Google too is how can the medium be the message in a way? Like how can you think outside of what are our normal t- storytelling tools? And to me, that's like the most important thing that we try and take away from it. And why, when I talk to the team or, or, or things like that about what we can do next is, yeah, you can shoot something or you can animate something, 2D motion graphics and stuff, but what are we missing? Because um, yes, storytelling has been done in so many different ways, but not every discovered way. And if we can find other ways to do it or use the, the, the brand's product to do it, or in that case, um, then we can really create something new and, and special, even if... When I made it, I disliked it,
1: <laughs> to be honest. Well, thanks for indulging me just geeking out and just talking about this for like 40 minutes or so. I have other questions to ask you, I promise, I do. <laughs> so cool. let's let's pivot away from that for a second here. From our conversation earlier, you had you mentioned like you're a director for a production company called First Avenue Machine. And you also are one of the co-founders, uh, partners of Special Guests, which is um, a digital agency, right?
0: It's a creative agency, yeah. Creative
1: agency, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's a creative yeah. agency. I'm I'm curious why there is this separation and why isn't it just everything if you want to work with Aaron you got to go through Special guests. What what why?
0: Yeah, you know that it does happen that way although um as Special Guest we don't work we we will collaborate with other creative agencies but we don't we're not hired by Creative agencies. We're, we're hired by brands and client, um, the the actual companies um, as their as a creative agency in those cases. So um that does, of course, like we do collaborate with um some of the some of the brands we work with have many, many creative agencies we work with, and we will like plug in with them quite well. But if uh if I'm wanted to to be directing something, then at, by a creative agency for their client then I'm on the first have roster for that and and I actually 2021 was the first year since I started directing that I didn't direct anything cuz we were just so I was so sort of caught up in the special guest world but but um every year before that and since we started special guest I would either direct you know a couple things or at least one thing that is a project I really believed in or really liked um, and I would need to work with my special guest team to make sure that I didn't drop the ball on anything on the special guest side. But but 2021 was just very busy. So I, I didn't get a mm-hmm. chance to
1: do that. Um, do you find it an, a problematic or an issue at all for agencies who want to hire you who are like, wait a minute, Aaron also owns this other agency who's working with clients. It, it, is Do they see conflict there or is that not even an issue for them?
0: You know, I haven't. I haven't felt that at all and I, I hope not. I, I feel very sort of like comfortable sort of like um jumping between those modes, you know. I hope there aren't times when I bring my ECD brain to the directing space because that's not what they're looking for. So I I think I probably need to check myself on that sometimes, but um but no, it hasn't come up. Uh and like I said earlier the industry has just become much more of a gray area like that. You know, I mean, we know that the agencies have developed their own in-house production companies, you know, and even production teams within brands. And, you know, it's, it's kind of all over the place right now. It's a bit more of like a wild West. And I don't think that's, there's downsides to that too. But even when we were talking about the triple bid, you know, it, it, some of these things do need to be broken down and changed and 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 updated and stuff like that. And I think trying other ways at it, I think makes sense. Um, at the same time, like you know, um, I directed um, some work for Ford in 20, 2020, and it was like awesome to be backed in the directors. seat, you know, just doing something slightly more traditional in that regard. So I'm kind of glad like everything is sort of like still out there and and on the table, Um, you know, having our cake and eat it too in some ways, but it hasn't come up as a problem.
1: Mm, Good to hear. Yeah. Uh, While we're on it, um, maybe this will serve as some kind of time capsule as to what's going on, but I'm curious how you as a director and also as, as a part of a creative agency, how, the early parts of COVID had impacted your business, if at all. Yeah. So in, in 2020, I think it was around February or March, somewhere right around there, there was a lockdown and a lot of agencies and production grinded to a halt. I have friends who are are agency owners and they're like, whoa, okay, we have to get creative. I'm curious as to what you felt in 2020 and what it's like in 2021.
0: Yeah, so something really, that 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 was obviously an interesting moment, a very sort of, intense moment for everyone. And we were not sure exactly how things would go. One thing that did happen for us is we had just spent pretty much all of 2019 doing uh, Snapchat's first global consumer campaign in, in 12 countries around the world. And as it, as it also turned out, the the style of that was a completely remote production. It was such a big campaign and the budget was such that in the very early stages, I'd worked with the, the um, like amazing creative team at Snap on developing a way for us to make really all the assets that they needed around the world but doing it as remote production and working with Snapchatters in each of those countries to capture things themselves, get us the content and create the hub for where all that stuff would land and then generate the content out of that from a sort of design and animation perspective once it got back to us. And this was, of course, not knowing that the whole world was about to go remote and, and remote production. But we had literally just finished making the case study for that work. And it became this sort of perfect case study for showing brands, how we could do this with them. And we had been working on, um, we had been working with Chewy.com just before the pandemic on developing a script that we were going to shoot in LA. And then when the pandemic happened, right in that moment, when, you know, like you said, around February, March, we sent them this case study, showed them how we were making things. And they're like, yeah, let's just switch this, like help us switch the script to how we can keep this going because, in the case of Chewy, their uh, pet food and things like that just went nuts. You know, like they they couldn't even fill all the orders that they needed. That people were just scrambling to get pet food, and so we ended up doing a bunch of work for them through 2020. And um, and so I think what what I would chalk that up to I think in that case is that we needed to be creative for Snap at the time, regardless of you know, the, the coming pandemic, obviously, to figure out how do we make this differently than we would normally be planning to make it, where we were, we would normally send a video team around the world shooting the Snapchatters doing their thing. And we just couldn't afford that. And so we needed to find another way to do it. And I think that sort of creative way of thinking about how to make things, it, it, it helped us uh, in the when the pandemic hit a lot because we needed to be creative and how to make things there as well.
1: Mm. And as we seem to have these waves of like, okay, new variants are coming. Have you fallen into a groove in 2021 and looking into the future? Do you think, you know what, whatever happens, we know how to adapt. We're, we're well positioned to, to deal with whatever comes. I do. I do
0: feel that way. Um, I think the, the nice thing is that, um, We are a pretty malleable company, both as a team and, um, in the way that we make things. We're not, um, there's not a particular way that we, that we do things. And so that, 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 that comes with some inefficiency, um, which we always need to sort of reckon with, but it also comes with sort of that ability to work around the things that come at us. And so I... I feel pretty good about that. I mean, every team member wears multiple hats that they like to wear, hopefully, in, in all cases. And so we can jump into different modes where we need to. And we're not huge, you know, we're, we're not like a big place. So we, we um, you know, we do expand a lot with freelancers and things like that when we need to on top of our staff team. So we're pretty... I think we're pretty prepared for what I agree will continue to be somewhat tumultuous,
1: you know. Mm. How big is the team right now, at special guest? It's 8 people. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's just 8 8 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been bigger. Where are you based out of? Uh Brooklyn. Uh one mm-hmm. of uh, a couple of our team members are are in on the West Coast, but our uh, our team has always really been Brooklyn based. We we have sort of satellite offices in in LA, London, and Buenos Aires, um, and we're starting one in Spain uh, in the in the new year.
1: Mm. So, in kind of the way you're structured, you're already all kind of remote, anyways, and you're just working wherever it makes sense to work, right? Totally, yeah.
0: yeah. The the I mean, just like all things, that there's been ups and downs to the remote the remote times, but we were already kind of remote. Uh, is is yeah. a good way to put it yeah yeah
1: okay now i'd like to spend the the few minutes i have left with you here to talk about the early days mm-hmm. like i'm i'm curious because you're a very well spoken person and it's hard to tell how old you are but you don't look that old i know you've been doing this for some time <laughs> but i'm i'm curious just really quickly if i can just knock out a few questions with you what did you study in school
0: i, I was an illustration major uh, and uh, with a what would have been a minor in sculpture if they let me have it, but I basically had those credits. Yeah. So what drew you into directing? The, the, to, to the chagrin of maybe of my illustration teachers, I was always storyboarding more than illustrating. And, and so that they, they sort of helped me realize that and, and push me that direction. And then a director who had graduated from my program three years prior, um, her name was Lauren Hartstone. Um, a uh, great director uh she came back at the time she was working at loyal casper um and she was like did you know there's this industry and i was like no cuz i I was, I was thinking i was going to be a a uh, um you know um illustrator for the times or you know something like that you know I, we i literally like did editorial know. editorial yeah, yeah yeah um and uh and she showed me Psyops website, brand new school. Um, and most importantly, her friends. She was friends with Lifelong Friendship Society at the time. I don't know if you remember those guys. It doesn't exist today, but um, mm-hmm. I was so obsessed with them that I just emailed them almost every other day until I graduated, until they let me come and meet them. And then they didn't need anyone, but they were like, Our, our HTML website is a mess. Can you help? organize that. So I, I came and helped them with that until I was there long enough that they uh, just interning that they let me kind of stop motion direct uh, this cookie spot that they needed. And that was like one of the first things I did, but, but um, yeah, it was, it was, it was like learning about this thing that I had no idea was there, honestly, (laughs) because it was not a big part of our, our schooling, you know?
1: Right. Uh, for context, what year is this that uh, you, you finish school and you wind up uh, being an intern with those guys? That's 2006. Okay. So 2006, you're like, motion, direction, what? And then you get yeah. into it and you go all in. I love how ten- tenacious you are that you find something that you like and, and you kind of just, and I hear this in the stories of very successful people. They don't know how to take no for an answer and they'll find a way, right? so <laughs> you found a way. And so you're there yeah. and is this your education into directing and animation and all the other stuff? So kind of, I, I, I was learning
0: anim- like stop motion animation and compositing at the time, mm-hmm. um, was okay. really what I was trying to teach myself. Cause, um, we, we, we didn't learn that at school exactly, but I, I learned enough about like Photoshop and, and things like that at school and in, in my program to, to jump into After Effects and, and, um, shoot some of my own stuff. And um, what happened from, from a directing point of view is I just happened to be lucky to meet this woman Claire at a Super Bowl party, and I, I was crocheting a lot at the time. I, I love like I I, ha- I got a little gig crocheting um, patterns for a, a yarn company in New York at the time, and um, she saw me crocheting at a Super Bowl party. She thought it'd be funny to talk to me, and 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 i told her i do animation she said oh you I, I just i've been working at this company called first ave machine she was literally the first employee at first ave and she said you should come and meet my my boss Serge. and i met surge and he looked at some of the little things i'd been creating and he was said do you want to direct and i was said sure i didn't know you know i didn't i didn't really know that that was going to be a thing and he said let's see if we can get some directing Gigs for you, and we went from there. And um, you know, that's all. I mean, there there is, like you said, the take not taking no for an answer kind of thing. I think there is also just um, not that you have to be in New York to, for things to happen, but being in New York and meeting people and like running into people and stuff like that definitely made. I'm not the best networker in the world, but but it 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 helped to be you know doing a creative thing like crocheting in a place that I wasn't supposed to, and so. <laughs> Um, you know, that, that was, uh, that's where it went from
1: there. Your, your, uh, resume, your, your pedigree is just very diverse illustration. And you said like sculpture, stop motion, animation, crocheting, it's, it, it all makes sense now really, because you're, <laughs> you're just really a, a person who's curious about a lot of different things. And I, I guess a way to, to, to bring this all together is that for you, it sounds to me like you're just open to, to things and being open is the thing that's open doors for you, right? That's a, I, I, I,
0: I'm glad you mentioned it because it comes up a lot in our work too. And, and as a team and stuff like that, and being open-minded is I think a huge part of the game and, and being creative, um, in general, I, I know that there are more like there needs to be some structure and like more rigid things in what we do. And I try and always be very open to those too, but But I think um, being a malleable company, being like open-minded to ways of doing things, to me, that's like a huge part of being creative in general, allowing ideas that don't belong together to mash up somehow creates new things. And if you're, you know, there's a whole other route I could go down talking about, like I have an obsession with visual illusions and that's like come up in my work a lot. And to, to see a sort of like visual illusion and the beautiful thing about visual illusions is that, you know, that there's two ways to look at it. And I try and look at life that way too, of like these multiple perspectives and, um, you know, a whole other rabbit hole is how, how not open-minded the world is. I think, Mm -hmm. um, these days sort of in general, that's a whole, it's all other like cultural thing to think about, but there, there's a lot of sort of like closed mindedness. And so, um, I'm lucky I get to be in like a, at least a job in industry. I think where it's, it's our job to be open-minded.
1: Mm. Is a visual illusion something where they, they create two or more images and depending on how you look at it, you see one or the other.
0: Yeah, it can be, uh, there, there's, um, there's, there's word, there's like names for all these different kinds of illusions that I always forget, mm-hmm. but, um, it, it, yes, it, 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 there's either two ways to look to looking at it, or when you look at it right side up, it's different than when you look at it upside yeah. down and, and, you know, that kind of thing, or all you need to do is just move this way and it, you know, the whole thing is different. Um, yeah. so, uh, I just think, um, that a lot of things are like that. A brief can be like that, you know, you that a brief comes in and, and if you read it once and you only decide to look at it a certain way you're actually missing a whole way that the brief could be interpreted and um, we really like try and apply that like thinking and, and open-mindedness to what we do
1: well said when it comes to pitching and it's a competitive space hmm. whether you're working a client direct or with an agency what do you think is unique about the way you approach things that helps you to have a competitive edge.
0: Yeah. I think, I think I try and ask myself that question when, when the brief comes to me, you know, if they, if it, if they know it's for me, I'm trying to figure out what, especially for directing stuff, but what, what part of me are they looking for? That comes back to that style thing, you know, that we talked about at the beginning and, and I, I, sometimes they're coming for, how do I, turn my product into a story, you know, like, like the Parisian love thing, or sometimes like a lot of times they're coming with, how can I be truly experimental with this? I I have a sort of a whole stack of work that is very much about as little post-production as possible, you know, like capture the thing in camera as much as possible. And that's another side of me that people might be wanting a sort of honesty to the, what's in front of the camera. Um, that reflects on the brand. And so I think the, I need to sometimes figure out what that is because if I, if I choose the wrong thing, then it really doesn't go well, you know, like what which, which, which part of me that they're really looking for a combination of things. So um, yeah, getting that right in the pitch, if it's not clear at the front is, is important. And hopefully I get a chance to ask those questions
1: to, to really make sure I get it right. And so for, for the people who are still, bent on having a strong personal style. Uh, what perspective do you have on that?
0: Uh, don't, don't lose that, like hone it. I, I definitely am not here to, um, to tell people to uh, be generalists like um, on, on everything. I just think that you can do that while being aware of the opportunities that are around you that don't look like opportunities at first they might look like a waste of your time at first. Cause, cause another part of it, there, there's sort of, um. there's a quote that I, if I say it, I won't remember who to attribute it to um, that um, style, style is a maneuver around what you can't do. Um, mm. You apply your style as a, as a crutch sometimes in order to, to avoid something that you are less confident about, you know, so I'll apply my style to it because I know how to do that. And when the person who you're working with, or that's, that might want to hire you is looking for another part of you that you might be, that you might not be aware that you'd be great at. And that, that can go wrong as well. I'm not saying it, it will always go right, but in my case, just from experience, um, there's an opportunity there to like discover something else that you might be great at. Um, if you can collaborate with people enough to, um, to make it work, even if you're a little scared about whether you're good at that or not, I I'd say just like, don't be too worried about whether you're good at it or not. Give it a chance and you may find out that
1: you can do it. Well, I just did a quick Google search on this to see who it is, to see if, uh, I can recognize, there's a quote here from Larry Gilbert that says, Your style is formed by what you can't do. Is that who you're quoting?
0: That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, who there's was one it? with who
1: maneuvering, it? too, by the way, but that one's not popping up as the as predominant one.
0: Yeah, it came up in, in the case of, um, it was something like Raymond Carver's editor Raymond or something Carver. like that. Yes. Oh, it's it Raymond Carver? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yes. So, uh, cause this was strange, right? So uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's on a blog somewhere where it says, David means during a discussion about writing and the writing of Raymond Carver. So it's Raymond Carver. Your, your memory is excellent. Got it.
0: Yeah. 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 It's something in that world, but it's, it's just helpful to think about. And it's hard. I, I won't say like, that's like an easy thing to like, uh, sort of open your mind to when it just seems so wrong, you know, but, but like, if you can give it a chance, my, might as well try.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's one of these weird things where if you have no style, no, no voice, no vision, and then you kind of just fall into the masses. Mm. And if you have a really strong style and you are not open to doing any other thing, then you could be blinded by a lot of the, the opportunities, as, as you've said, that are presented to you. And it, it sometimes feels like that quote where if the only tool you have is a hammer, uh, every problem looks like a nail. Totally, and, and sometimes that's you kind of missing the point of what's in front of you.
0: Definitely, yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. Like having a perspective is huge, um, and ha- having like, uh, people want that from you. Um, if you're a creative person, you know that's that's why they're coming to you. So, um, I definitely don't want to <laughs> send people on the the wrong path to um losing um a style. And and I'll admit, there's times when. I do find myself working on something that I've sort of opened myself to and just felt like, is it, is it right for me or not still? Um, but I, I'd rather be more open than not, you know, um, uh, in a way, uh, rather than close those things off. Um, I mean, another amazing part of just being in this industry is we get to be, at least I feel we get to be in spaces that we have really no right being in, you know, like, like I, I getting to be in the room, you know, pitching an idea to Evan Spiegel or to Whitney Wilfherd, or even, you know, we work with this, we work with a semiconductor manufacturing company in Taiwan that no one, like literally no one is allowed in their fabs, you know, in their factories, but we got to be in there to shoot things because they trust our sort of creative POV on things. And just getting to be in there and wearing bunny suits and being in there and stuff like that is um, like an amazing feeling. We're invited into these places. That's part of the idea of being called special guest is like, we're a guest into these spaces that because we have this sort of special skill, we, we get to be there when um, you know, no one else really gets to be there. So I I do think like some of that open-mindedness let allows us in a little bit. Whereas if we were too rigid um, maybe we would only get to work on a certain kind of thing. I just really enjoy like getting to see all these like crazy things. Like even I got to I pitched once to once to uh, Michael Eisner, you know, the former um, CEO of Disney and and I was I was pitching these like EDM like uh, animated character things to him. and and just like realizing I get to be in this room doing this is just really, Fun. So, if that's not like the thing that matters that much to you, then then that's fine. But maybe it's worth sort of saying that I think that's like one of the most awesome things about getting to be a creative person is you're invited into, into all these places.
1: Mm. What a lovely explanation uh, to kind of not take for granted and to have that perspective that it's a privileged position to be in, and you want to be mm. mindful and respectful of that. I love that, uh, Aaron. I appreciate you spending this time with me and and also just allowing me to kind of compare notes, if you will, uh, in in terms of your creative process. It was really fun. You're a very thoughtful and articulate person. And I just, now that I I, I know the, the thinking behind that campaign, it just, it all makes a lot of sense to me. Thank you. That's cool. Yeah, it's from a,
0: a ways back but but you know when I was first getting started I, I was definitely watching Blind, you know, what Blind was doing and um you know as a as a first ave team we were always watching Blind, you know, and what Blind was doing for sure. So it's of course uh, uh super exciting uh to talk to you as well, Chris. Thank you.
1: Wonderful. And for people who want to get a hold of you or to continue this conversation, where's the best place for them to go?
0: Yeah, I'm not like ultra active, you know, in terms of posting on social, but um, I will definitely respond to DMs um, on Instagram. Um, and my handle is, is uh, DuffSlam, Dufslam, D-U-F-S-L-A-M. Uh, so you can at me there for sure. Please do.
1: Okay. Wonderful. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Chris. I'm Aaron Duffy and you're listening to The Future.
2: joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new, insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris do and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode, and thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better.